Hello, and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the indispensable Matt. Hello there. Well then, Matt. Um, we'll be, be discussing... Before we, oh, before we okay. start, David, mm-hmm. I, I just want to wish you a massive congratulations. Oh, what's that for? For your upcoming promotion. Uh, what promotion is that? Aren't you now first in line to be the next Secretary of State for Health and Social Care? <laughs> oh. uh, no, no politics no, on the no, podcast, no, no. but I thought I'd No, of course, because the episode we, we, we watched this week couldn't be less political if it tried. Keep politics out of Doctor Who. Yeah. All right, then. Um, so, yes, we're discussing oxygen this week. And, um, yeah, top marks on the uh, on the, the topical humour there, Matt. That would have dated really, really well when this comes out in a week's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there is cause for celebration, David. Why is that? Uh, in, a, in a way, I'm slightly offended that you've asked why is that. Mm. Because, obviously, we're recording on a Sunday. We are. And obviously Friday was a very special day for us. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Although it might have been Saturday. Was it, oh, is it the podiversary? No, 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 oh. that's like in September. Oh, okay. Now, this weekend, David, I held the very first ever Neither the Time Nor the Space Marty Party. <laughs> because it, it has been Marty McLean's birthday this weekend. <laughs> Belated happy birthday, Marty. I think that's rather passed me by. I've not really been on Twitter for the past week, so... Oh, um... uh, good. All, all you'll have seen is just pictures of me drinking <laughs> and just going, oh, here's a, here's a toast to my friend Marty. <laughs> Hashtag shots for Marty. On, on Friday, David, I drank, I drank four pints of lager and nearly half a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and when anyone asked why, I was just going, oh, it's for Marty. Marty McLean, it's his birthday. <laughs> I think I even got like some of my friends to like have a drink and just you know, just cheer for Marty. Ah, uh, um, I'm sure he'll be honoured that you got smashed uh, in his name. Yeah, he was probably really annoyed. I sent him a lot of messages, just going, just having a pint for you, here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you had a lovely birthday, anyway, Marty. Yeah. I sent him a message to say that our lives are richer for having him in it, and I'm, I truly mean that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, Friday was just one of those, do you ever have days where you're just stressed, but you don't know why, and everything just needs extra effort, and you don't mm. really get it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just had one of those, and then when yeah. I got home, I just saw it was his birthday, I was like, right, that's it. That's my excuse for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get sauce. I mean... To be fair, Matt, you've never struck me as someone who particularly needed an excuse. No, I don't know. Just on Friday, I just wasn't really with it. Uh, fair dues. Well, um, I hope you've had a nice weekend anyway. I hope it's been making up for it. It's been okay. The weather's a bit glum, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It's not really gotten into gear today. Plus, yesterday I went to the post office to pick up some parcels, and the website says it opens at 7am, but when I got there it opens at 8 Ah, oh, that's uh, irksome. Yeah. So what what did you do? Did you like just head home? Did you hang around for well, an no, hour? No, because it's a good 20-minute drive to the post office. Mm. Thankfully, it's just in town where my mum lives. So I just 
basically broke into my mum's house because it was seven in the morning and everyone was in bed. So I just went in, made myself a cup of tea, watched a bit of telly. And after a while, my mum was like, what? Did you sleep here? Ah, <laughs> um, uh, fair enough. So do you want to do you want to talk food for a bit? Should we get that out of the way? We can do. We can do. Should we start with meal of the week? Why not? Um, I've got a, I've got a genuinely interesting one this week. Don't know about you, Matt. Is this your breakfast or your meal of the week? Uh, this is my meal of the week I'm thinking about. Bre- breakfast was fairly unremarkable, though um, rather than the usual toast, it was um, a bread roll made by my own fair hand. Oh, lovely. So, yeah. I, I can't really discuss my breakfast till I've discussed my meal of the week. Are they one and the same? No. Ah, okay. Right, well, do you want to go ahead and do that then? Talk, um, talk about your meal of the week and then we'll circle back round to breakfast. So, meal of the week, last night for tea, me and my wife had, like, nachos for dinner. Mm. And I quite like nachos, but there's a bit of a glass ceiling there, isn't there? Like, nachos are always good, but I don't know if they're ever great. I would heartily disagree with that. Are you, sh- are you sure? Cheese, like, cheese and crisps for dinner. How can you go wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, and like I'd made like chili beef and everything. Yeah, I, I went all out, but for pudding, I had a sultana scone, strawberry jam, mm. clotted cream. Oh crikey! And is that uh, what's that? What's the uh, origin of this scone? Just for context. Uh, well, we bought it from the shop, mm. but. I, I watched a. I, I just go down YouTube rabbit holes. Yeah. And I watched a video where a man made clotted cream. Because I, I always thought it was like some sort of alchemy. Like you must add a clotting agent or mm. something. You, you, you yeah. just put cream in the oven. Is that really all it is? Yeah, you just evaporate some of the liquid. Just put it in ah. the lowest setting your oven's got and just leave it for 12 hours. And that gives you clotted cream. Wow, I didn't know yeah. that that was the origin of it. But that leads me to today's breakfast. Right. Because uh, my, my wife's doing a long day at work today. She went out at seven this morning. She won't be back till about midnight. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, I can't really be bothered. Like, it's nearly payday. I, I haven't got the money to just go to the shop and buy something. So i think they're called breakaway biscuits you know they're a bit like digestives but in a bar and wrapped in chocolate i know the ones yeah uh, yeah for my breakfast i had four of them dipped in clotted cream <laughs> <laughs> is that not the most oh. extravagant way to eat a biscuit i just went to the fridge and i was like there's half a pot of clotted cream <laughs> That is not going to last the day. I didn't have any scones left, but I did have these biscuit bars. So I was just scooping clotted cream out of the pot. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I was on death row, I'd, I'd be having clotted cream yeah. and scones. Thing is, Matt, it's not, it's not elegant, but I can't blame you. That's the yeah. thing. I cannot blame you for that choice. Um I think at Christmas I once ate a Toblerone dipped in clotted cream. <laughs> That's it's living the high amazing. life. No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff for sure. Um, all right, should I tell you about my meal of the week? Let's have it. I'm excited. Okay, well, the thing is, Matt, I don't think you're going to be happy with me. Because... Um, if you went out for a curry and I didn't go, <laughs> I'd be mad. 
<laughs> didn't go out for a curry, but contrary to my to my previous decision not to eat in a restaurant, I ended up eating in a restaurant last week. And it was a lovely meal. So should I give you a bit more context for it? Go on. So break my heart a little bit more. As I mentioned last week, um, my, my dad was was up visiting. First time I'd seen him in absolutely ages. Um, so it was really, really lovely. Just proper family reunion. Um, and one of the days that he was up, we planned a bit of a bit of a boys' day out. It was mm-hmm. my dad, my brother, myself, and little Absorbaloff. The four of us. Uh, Star of the pod, and little Absorbaloff. Yeah, yeah. You were, I'm in an iron about leaving that in, but he, he was just too cute, wasn't he? Yeah, star of the show. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we took him over to York to the uh, National Railway Museum. Okay. Don't know if you've been, Matt. Well worth a visit. I, I've been many a time. Not yeah. not so much recently. but No, it's a, crack, it's a cracking museum. And uh, my dad, who in his... Uh, in his younger days, was a uh, committed train spotter, was very much in his element. Um, and, yeah, so we had a lovely time. Got By the time we got to lunchtime, little Absorbaloff was absolutely knackered. Stuck him in the pushchair. We headed off into the centre of town. And initially we were looking for somewhere to sit outside, but it was heaving in York that day. Like, I feel like at the moment, because a lot of people can't go take holidays abroad, they're all just doing, like, city breaks in places like York. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're near the centre there, it's just even on a, on a random weekday that this was, it was just absolutely rammed. Um, so after discounting a couple of places, we ended up at Bill's. Are you familiar with Bill's? Um, yeah, yeah. So next door to HMV. Yeah, so I would characterise it as sort of hipstery, but not in an egregious way. No. Just in a sort of laid back, this is nice way. Yeah. Um. So I had a lovely red ale and a halloumi burger, which had hummus, roasted pepper, pea shoots. Some rosemary fries on the side, and the only the only slight negative of the meal, some lemon aioli, which I was open to the concept of, but in reality, basically, ter- it turned out to be basically like having a little ramekin of lemon yogurt with your <laughs> burger. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be dipping my fries in lemon yogurt. Man, we've been slating lemons recently. <laughs> I feel bad because I, I'm I'm generally pro lemon, but it didn't really work in that context. But uh, yeah, a well executed halloumi burger is a thing to to cherish. I think. Mm. Did Did you know that you you can get halloumi burgers now, mm. where instead of halloumi, it's one hundred percent ground beef. <laughs> Um, I'd just recommend that right. maybe next time. Okay. Yeah, I if mean, what are you thinking about? As, uh, and the uh, best bit is, I know what you're thinking. Oh, maybe I'll try that. It'd be the prime cut. No, David. Yeah. Eyeballs and arseholes all the way. Yeah. But that's good, is it? Apparently. Oh, there's not better. Mm. Not better. Well, for a vegetarian, I'm so, I, I, I'm just so grateful for the uh, for the um, 
embracing of halloumi on on our shores because prior to that like veggie burgers were such a miserable experience if you were eating out it would in best case scenario you'd get like a load of mushed up vegetables in a breadcrumb coating but, it was usually mixed with like recycled newspaper wasn't yeah, it yeah pretty much um or what the absolute nadir for me and I, I it still happens occasionally in certain pubs and stuff to this day and i i, I find it absolutely infuriating a so-called mushroom burger. Just a big mushroom. Uh, I hate Which, big mushrooms. Uh, I think I've talked about this on pod. But, I hate... The idea of a big mushroom really offends me. I'm not a big fan at the best of times. But there's something particularly egregious about pass, trying to pass that off as a burger. Like mm. whacking a load of lettuce and some sliced tomato on it, sticking it in a bun and saying, here you go, vegetarians. This is what you deserve. Yeah, no. Well outrageous when, you're, when just, you're right you're right just slice me up some halloumi deep fry the fuck out of it and stick it in a burger now i'm gonna say something controversial here yeah okay but there is a better cheese than halloumi for burgers and what is that it is saganaki which is a greek cheese Ooh. i think halloumi's greek as well it is it? yeah yeah, I don't go for, go for Saganaki. I will have to keep my eyes peeled for that. I don't think uh, I've ever had I, it. I don't. I don't know. It's not very big in Britain. Yeah, and it, it's just like halloumi, but maybe not as salty, and you know, it crisps up really nice mm. rather than you know how when you cook halloumi, it just sort of goes a bit brown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Saganaki gets like a proper crisp on it. It's Ooh. it's the one. Yeah, you've you've. Got me very intrigued there, Matt. Not gonna lie. But anyway, um now that the question remains Is it meal of the year? And you know what? I think it is. Just because it was a it was a really lovely meal, accompanied by a really lovely drink with some of my favourite people in the whole world, one of whom I've not seen in about 18 months. Mm. Now, Hard it, to it, it would be remiss of me not to ask, yeah. what, what did Absorbalov have? He slept through the entire meal. Um. And it was bliss. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, I was kind of... I, I had the pushchair sort of turned to me so I could keep an eye on him. So, um, But... I was basically poised to flag down a waiter and order some chips at any moment if he woke up, mm. but he just slept through the whole thing. Mm. And then what, he. What just... did your dad have? My dad had a salad with poached egg and avocado. Oh. And my brother. It was good. Uh, it looked really nice. Um, and my brother had some kind of. Oh, what is it? Buttermilk chicken burger. Yeah. 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 You leave the chicken in the buttermilk because it's slightly acidic. It makes it go a bit softer. Right. Well, anyway, yeah, he said that was very good as well. So, um, yeah, a positive review for Bill's there, if anyone's ever in New York. Yeah. I think it's a small chain, isn't it? I think there might be a few others dotted around the yeah, country. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is. But anyway, um, shall we move on? Yep. Are we moving to Would I Lie to Who? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so the current score, David, is tied at eight all. No pressure. 
to make it a bit fairer, I've mine is Doctor Who themed. Oh, what a special treat! Yeah, not really. I just wanted to see how you'd react <laughs> because this week I'm rebranding. Would I lie to Who? And David, this week we're going to play. What's that smell? <laughs> okay. So this week, David, um, I came home from work one day and my house just smelt horrendous. <laughs> I'm going to give you three options. Okay. okay. Which one was it? Option A, there was a pile of poo in my house. Right. Option B, there was... The rotting corpse of an animal in my house. Uh Uh-huh. And option C, there was the remnants of a meal I'd long forgotten about that had just been left to go rotten in my house. (laughs) (laughs) They're all very plausible, Matt. Okay, where's your gut leading you? Just from that bit of detail. I'm going to say my gut instinct is... Is poo. poo. Just because you've got a lot of animals yep. that do a lot of poos. And, you well, know... You've kind of read my mind there. That's that's where we're going with that option. Yeah, yeah. So, which, so all I want to know is which animal was responsible for the poo. Okay. So, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but my wife and I, we've got a new hamster. Yep. Okay, so he's a rescue hamster. He's called Winky Bob because he's only got one eye. Ah, excellent. And I'd put together... I don't know if you've seen, I made a huge cage for him. It's basically the size of a wardrobe. It's massive. Ah, excellent. Um, But when I'd put it together, the panelling on the back Mm -hmm. just... Because it was flat pack, it didn't quite line up. And of course, there's a tiny little gap. (laughs) And it turned out Winky Bob had just been... Just been posting his poos through there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one hamster dropping, you don't really notice. Mm-hmm. And because it was, like I say, this big tall thing, it was just all down the back. Yeah, so it was it was kind of obscured from view. Yeah, yeah. it was like two weeks worth of hamster poo. Jeez, right. Okay, yeah. All right, so uh, second option. What was the animal that was okay. lying dead in your house? So, because the weather has been fairly warm recently, it's not today, but the last couple of weeks it's been scorching. So, in our living room, we have French... Are they called French windows? Just like big door windows. Yeah, I think those are French windows, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. So, we like to have them open, but the problem is we're getting a lot of flies in. Yes. So, in order to combat that, I've bought a couple of carnivorous plants from the garden centre. And... The thing is, they kind of smell a bit anyway, because they need Mm -hmm. to attract the flies. But nobody, nobody warns you that when a Venus flytrap reopens and it's just got the partially digested remnants of a fly, it absolutely stinks. Mm. So it kind of just left like this fly-shaped husk and, and the smell of death. That's pretty grim. Okay, uh, and the third option, uh, what was the meal? Uh, So, this must have been probably from last Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I won't lie, David, a few beers were involved. Uh Uh, Yeah. So, I was sat on my sofa, 
Uh, again, my wife was working the late shift, and I had ordered from local pizza house, Regency Pizza, mm-hmm. a deluxe garlic bread. Right. What makes so it deluxe? Is, well, it's garlic bread, so it's a pizza base with yep. garlic butter and crushed garlic on it, but then they put their own garlic sauce on the top. Mm. Okay. So it's like a big, saucy, bready mess. And literally all that had happened was, after a few beers, it was on the floor. I just tapped it so it kind of went under the sofa because it was still in the cardboard box. Uh-huh. Um, and because I, I slept on the sofa. I usually sleep on the sofa if my wife's working late, so then go to bed when she comes in. Yeah. But when I'd pushed it under the sofa, I must have, like, shot it right under. <laughs> yeah. So it was out of sight, out of mind, kind of just forgot about it. After a week, the sort of, I think it's like a mayonnaise base to the sauce. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just no, that's not going to smell... age well. Uh. It smelt like acidy sick. Mm. And garlic. Oh, Matt, Matt, these are all so plausible. <laughs> okay, I'm going to eliminate the fly trap first, I think. Okay. Because I just feel like that's you. You would know that that's not an effective way. Regard, you know, even if you're not aware of the the consequences, it's just not an effective way to deal with a fly problem unless you get legions of the things. Mm-hmm. So it's a toss up then between the garlic bread and old Winky Bob. I want just because I want it to be true. I'm going to say it was Winky Bob posting his poo. You think he was scheming against me? Yeah, that's that's where I'm landing. That's much a decision. Okay, well, sadly, I don't have photo evidence to send you this week to uh-huh. prove it. But the answer was the carnivorous plants. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got a few Venus flytraps and we've got one of, you know, like the ones that hang down and they almost have like gourds on them. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. They absolutely stink. Mm. But like I say, one day, I think it must have been about Wednesday, Thursday this week, I came home, the whole house smelt of death, and that's when I knew that's yeah. this week's Would I Lie To? <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. excellent. So for the stuff. first time, I take the lead. You do? Well done. Well Thank earned there. That was, a, that was a... That was a good one, Matt. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay. We'll maybe make that a weekly feature. What's that smell? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right, then. Um, I think there's only one more bit of preamble, isn't there? The uh, old uh, TV highlight of the week. Mm-hmm. What, you got anything exciting to talk about? Uh, no, not really. I'm still watching Loki. Yeah, uh, still pretty good. Um, Everyone's this been week... banging on about how episode three of it apparently is is kind of like Doctor Who, and I've not watched it yet, so no spoilers. But are people making too much of a meal out of that? Did it? Did, did were you immediately struck with Doctor Who vibes from it, David? It's nothing like Doctor Who. Yeah, I had a feeling that was the case. But I just, I just had all these clickbait articles and tweets and stuff suddenly banging on about how episode three of Loki is is uh, like Doctor Who. Um, mm. 
But no, I don't know. But I, I would recommend instead, not really a TV highlight, but I was driving home the other day and on the radio came Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon. Everyone, just go listen to that. What a song. Okay, duly noted. You, you like it, David. It's old. I mean, there's, there's, there's... Songs have to be more than old for me to be interested, but I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. I know that I know that in the past I've been like, oh, you've never heard this. I'm I'm surprised you've never heard Werewolves of London. That's well, right in your wheelhouse. It might be one of those ones that I would recognise if I heard it, but the 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 title itself is not ringing a bell with me. Yeah, but um, you'll love it. Oh well, I'll, I'll uh, try to remember and report back to you uh, next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my TV highlight of the week um, is a video game. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh yeah I, I, I totally forgot you sent me a message yeah, last night I did and you know what Matt I've disappointed you once I'm going to disappoint you again uh, because basically uh, for, those, for for context listeners last night I was browsing um, a sale that's on the Nintendo store at the moment I was looking for I was just itching to get something new to play on the Switch and I've just been paid so these things does happen. that mean you finished Mist? I haven't finished Mist. I kind of fe- fell off Mist at a certain point just because it requires too much concentration for me, which is sorely lacking by the time it gets to sort of nine o'clock in the evening and Absorbaloff's finally asleep and, and the house is tidy. Um, so, yeah, I I am denied over a few different things. Um in that sale, one of which was they had a few Final Fantasies, and I've never played Final Fantasy, and I know Matt, you're a huge Final Fantasy fan. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of getting your advice on which one to go with, uh, and then proceeded to not get a single Final Fantasy game, uh, but instead, I picked up uh, Sonic Mania. Okay. And uh, Civilization Six. Ah, <laughs> uh, is it any good on the Switch? It's very playable, yeah. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Oh, man. I might get that and we can play online. Yeah. Because um... in the Switch sale, I picked up... This might be my recommendation. Uh, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Oh, yes. I was looking at that as well. Which is is good in the... You can just pick it up, play a level, put it back down. Yeah. I think I've just about finished the second world and I haven't committed any effort or energy toward it. I've just been playing it here and there. Nice. I'm enjoying that. So how are you finding Sonic Mania? Oh, I love it. I love it. Because I, you know, I... (laughs) 2D platformers are really my comfort zone when it comes to video games. Son- remember, Sonic and Mario was what I really one, put one my of the time main into. arguments we've ever had was yeah. when I told you that Mario Brothers One was better than Mario Brothers Three. I mean, it's, it's just complete nonsense. I'm sorry, but Mario Brothers Three is too complicated. No, 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 no. They take they take everything that was good about the core of um, the original Super Mario Brothers, and then they just. Add on this fairy dust of all these new concepts that are, that are all. But the simplicity is what makes it so good. No, 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 no. Because the, the, the thing is, it holds your hand the whole way through. It 
it, it's not like it just bombards you with too much at once. It's just every couple of levels, there's something new to make you go, oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that before. It is just supreme game design. And the worlds, right. the different, the you know, there's no real character to the different worlds in Super Mario Brothers. But Super Mario Brothers 3, every single one has its own personality to it. You've got your desert world, you've got your underwater world, you've got your icy world. It's, you know, it really, it's the gold standard to this I'll, day. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the worst one. I'm not going to talk about Mario Brothers 2. Everyone knows about Mario Brothers 2. I mean, it's basically not a Mario game. Yeah. Yeah, it's Doki Doki Panic. But Super Mario World, the SNES one, that's even worse than 3 for me. Do you know why? Yeah, why? Because when I was playing it through, I got all the way to the end, and every time I finished this level, it sent you back to the beginning. Uh And I was like, what is going on? It just turns out you have to jump down some random pipe on some random (laughs) level, and that's what takes you to Bowser. I've never got that far with Super Mario World. It's never quite clicked with me, that one. Yeah. I don't know why, but, um, yeah. But, no, Sonic Mania is, is, is glorious. It's, 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 it really feels like just a celebration of proper old-school Sonic. Good. Because it, it's made by a guy that was making, like, fan dub mod things, wasn't ah, it? Ah, was it? I wasn't aware of that, but... Um, yeah, I'm certain, yeah, I'm certain there was a guy that was basically making, like, ROM hacks. Yeah. Then, I mean, that makes sense, because well, some of the level designs are insane. But because, uh, I think because the Sonic games were rubbish at the time, mm. and everyone was playing uh, ROM hacks instead, they just brought this guy on board. <laughs> just said, you're clearly better at making Sonic than we are. Yeah. So can and you just, just do it for go. actual money? Yeah, great. Because it was Sonic the Hedgehog's 30th birthday this week. Oh, was it? Happy birthday, Sonic. Yeah. We're not having a party. No. Not like a Marty McLean Marty party. No sh- shots for Sonic. No, no. <laughs> don't, don't give me the temptation, David. <laughs> right then. Come on then. Uh, the, the only thing I was going to ask before yeah. we move on yeah. is uh, do you think that Sergeant Cronus and the might of the Ultramarines can defeat Gasgul Thracker and the Green Horde? No. Okay. Right, moving on. That's <laughs> I'm assuming that was a Warhammer thing. Yeah, that's just for me and Tim Riley. Okay. I don't know who I just backed there, but um, whoever uh, you does your Tim welcome. Riley. Last time yeah. we played, he absolutely destroyed me. Yeah. So I've spent about 90 quid on various models. <laughs> I've gone meta, David. I've been reading up on the meta. Oh, no. That's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. Yeah, it's an expensive rabbit hole as well. Yeah. Um, all right, come on then. Let's talk about oxygen. Um, it's uh, we're, we're kind of we're we're hitting the sort of early midpoint of series ten. We've kind of hit our mm-hmm. flow a bit. Um, where are you ranking oxygen on the old scale of good to bad episode? Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to use one of our rarely used rankings Ooh, this is for this episode. Okay? Because I'm going to say I had a good time with this episode, but I don't really know why. <laughs> well, maybe I, as we talk it, through it, it, it. It's very bread and butter, yeah. isn't it? I've seen this episode a thousand times now. Oh, sure. But I don't know. Like, I don't know what it was, but 
I watched the whole thing. It was okay. Yeah. It was all right. Well, um, I think it's a good episode. I don't think it's perfect, but, um, you know, few episodes are. Uh, but it's very good. Um, and, yeah, again, it's real, real bit of uh, just... It's just proper Doctor Who done well, I feel like. Mm. It's where I come down on it. Uh, what do our listeners make of it, Matt? Well, I hope you're sitting comfortably, David. <laughs> We've got a few, have we? We know this is the biggest part of the show, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, do you f- how 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 you're editing this week, Matt? How do you feel about editing out the sound of me munching my way through a shortbread biscuit whilst you read these out? Well, I think the main difference. I think what people picked up on last week yeah. when I did the editing was the reason they could tell I edited it was because the pod was edited. (laughs) I don't know. Have you had a chance to listen back? I haven't, no. I've been Uh, too busy. I I put a little bit of my own personal flair into it. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I look look forward to listening to it at some point. Okay. Right, so... You didn't answer my question, but I'm going for it anyway, by the way. So, uh... I'm just it's going... all right, because when I edited last week, I didn't realise that all I ever say is, mm, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, I started every sentence just going, hmm, okay, so. And it really started to get to me. And there's only so many times you can hear yourself like go, uh. <laughs> That's true. You know. That's true. All right. So if you're then. thinking of starting a podcast out there, just don't bother. It's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Right, so, first message comes from James. This is not James Courtney, it's James Swift, who sent us a nice message to assure us, David, that he isn't dead and he wasn't killed by James Courtney. Glad to hear it. Okay. So, this is James, at James Swift 95 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out everyone's handles so they can all follow each other this week, David. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I'm not going to do a single thing till you say hello to James. Hello, James. You've got a gob full of shortbread, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> we had a toddler on last week. We don't need one this week, David. <laughs> it's been staring at me for 45 minutes. Right. Well, James says, another brilliant performance from Capaldi and Mackey, but at this point, that's the norm. Probably the only episode to nail how scary space is. Awkward silence whilst mm-hmm. you masticate your shortbread. I was doing a thumbs up. Okay. It's good. That works through an audio medium, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Next message, David. Yep. Don't mean to scare you, David, but it's from Frank. Hi, Frank. So this is at B underscore bird underscore moth, who says... Probably the most explicitly political, let's just keep the politics out of podcast, please, and anti-capitalist episode. It's genuinely brilliant experience. The end point of capitalism, the bottom line where human life has no value at all, is a quote that I keep hearing in my head every time Boris Johnson has a COVID announcement. It's delightfully dark while still having some fun pulp sci-fi elements. Probably one of the most quotable episodes there is. The horror of having no choice but to wear the suits that are killing everyone is absolutely genius, and the airlock scene makes me forget to breathe. 
I always point to this episode when my, sorry, when not my doctors claim Chibnall has out of nowhere made the show political. 10 out of 10, great episode, great twist at the end. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but it's really worth saying this, all these people who are currently like, eh, he's gone all political now. Where were those people when this episode was aired? Because I don't remember any major pushback whatsoever. It's... I know you say that's worth saying. I, I think what's worth saying is you saying hello to Frank, David. I said hello. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I thought you had a gob full of cake. I forgot. I mean, th- th- both both things are true. Um, but anyway, crack on. Uh, all right. Thanks, sir. <laughs> as if I needed your permission. Right, the next one comes from Clover. Say hello, David. Hello, David. Captain Comedy's back (laughs) after his brief appearance last week. I don't... The the trouble is, Matt, I just don't know what to do during this segment. Like, the the, the whole point of this podcast for me is I get to ramble on about Doctor Who. And now I'm sat listening to other people ramble on about Doctor Who, which is great. But it basically feels like I'm listening to a podcast instead of hosting one. Right, well, next week, I'm going to set you a challenge whilst I read these out. Okay, that'll be I'm great. I'm going to see how many push-ups you can do, and week by week, we're going to see the number go up. Oh, I was Until hoping it would be at like... At Christmas, a... you can, like, punch through a brick wall. <laughs> I was hoping it would be like a Sudoku or something. All right, well, maybe you could just, like... I'll get you a paint by numbers. <laughs> oh, that would be great, yeah. Yeah. That, that'd be quite good. I might get you one of them. <laughs> And then week by week, we can just see how much you've done. Excellent. Right. Well, I'm going to move on, okay? Because obviously that message was from Clover. They know all the swear words, David. They do. So I don't want to keep them waiting. Okay. So they say... Oh, I did it then. Okay, so... In fact, this tweet starts... Okay, so Series 10 has mess stories, although I still enjoy them. But it's Capaldi and Mackie that makes it good. However, this episode has an amazing story and Capaldi and Mackie, so it's a good episode. I love that it's terrifying and Nardole being funny at the same time. I love it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Okay. Right. Uh, hold on, we've got one, two, three. We've still got five to go, David. Okay. <laughs> right. This one's from James I think maybe, Courtney. Maybe we need to like introduce some kind of tombola system. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll work something out. Yeah. Maybe maybe we could do another podcast. Maybe. But, I mean, I, I, to be clear, I, this is not me wanting to besmirch any of our wonderful listeners for writing it. I really do. It's so lovely that you're engaging with with us uh, on, our, on our journey through Who. Um, so thank you so much for all the messages. We really do appreciate them. Yeah. I appreciate them more than David, just to make that clear. Yes. Right. <laughs> you, you, you weren't supposed to say yes. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what's wrong with us. We're, we're arguing. We're bickering this week. We are. We really are, aren't we? <laughs> okay, so next message from James Courtney. Say hello, mm-hmm. David. Hello. Okay, so James Courtney says, Space Zombies, what a genuinely creepy episode about the horrors of space. This episode also finally gives Nardole some time to shine. And now 
the Doctor is, and I'm not going to read that word because it's a bit of a spoiler. Mm. I have some probably controversial thoughts brewing about the politics in this. Just keep the politics out of podcast, please. Oh, I'm intrigued I will to hear say, this. I will save this for next series. Okay. Okay. And James says he also loves how many more comments we're getting. Okay. Yeah. No, it is. It's great. So, so I sent a message saying I'm glad somebody does. David hates it uh, because I make him say hello to everyone. So he <laughs> said, David, you've said hello to him pretty much every week for a year or so. So he wants to say hello to you. Oh, well, that's lovely. Thank you. Hello. Okay. Next one comes from Amy. Say hello, David. Hello. Do you want to say it a bit happier? You always say it in such a down tone when it's Amy. <laughs> Sorry. She's like one of the nicest people I speak to. And you're just like, hello. It's like, it's like hosting a podcast <laughs> with Squidward. Hello. That's better. Right. Amy says, love it. Great horror. Space is dangerous and scary. I enjoy the bits of humour. I love 12's opening speech with him drawing the skeleton. I love that consequences don't go away at the end. And then the quote she's offered for this week is, the universe shows its true self when it asks for help. We show ours by how we respond. It's a great one. Great quote. Yep. Okay. We then have a message from our friends over at the Doctor Who show. Say hello, David. Hello. And they say, being a Jamie Matheson story and his pedigree being so good on the series, I had high hopes for this one. Probably higher than I should have. As I recall, it was good. Don't get me wrong, it is good, but not as good as I was hoping for. Also led into a silly encumbrance for 12. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. The next one comes from BT Fliggity Giggard. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. Okay. He starts by saying, And having taken on racism and landlords, the 12th Doctor cements his place as the Antifa Doctor by destroying capitalism. <laughs> I thought you'd like that bit. Yeah. Okay, I kid, but Oxygen is just about as sophisticated and uncompromisingly political as Doctor Who can get. There have been stories with political elements before, of course, but they tend to run on a gamut from wishy-washy to goofing, especially in the RTD era. Oxygen is decidedly not that, using outer space as a metaphor for capitalism from the offset. It's big, it's relentless, and it's going to kill you. The dystopia shown in humanity's future has more in common with classic cyberpunk than Doctor Who, with the central idea of turning the air we breathe into a commodity being both horrific and completely believable. Twelve gets some clever lines that tie the themes and plot together, such as, we're fighting the suits. That is a particular standout. If there's a major flaw, it's that the script stops short of presenting any actual solutions or alternatives to this end result of capitalism. We already know that Jamie Matheson could do good Doctor Who from Mummy and Flatline, but this is the episode that proves that he can do good, proper sci-fi as well. Not that there isn't plenty of good Doctor Who here as well, of course. The plot is a classic base under siege story, with the central cast being pushed to their physical and emotional limits. Having 12 lose first his sonic screwdriver, and then I'm going to edit that so we don't have any spoilers, makes for an incredibly tense story. And Bill is again forced to struggle with the harsh realities of what life with the Doctor brings. 
Nardole is mostly relegated to comic relief here, but with such a dark story, his part in it is, un is necessary rather than superfluous. The spacesuit zombies are perhaps a little too reminiscent of Silence in the Library, but the design is super creepy and the threat they pose is very real and compelling. This is a Black Mirror episode with a Doctor Who flavour, and both aspects are shown to perfection. I also have to call out my favourite line, which is the best encapsulation of 12 so far. The universe shows its true face when I ask for help, and we show ours by how we respond. In my opinion... This is Doctor Who doing modern sci-fi justice. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's had a bad word to say about it yet, have they? No, I don't that's, think so. That's, you know, that that will come out in particular is pretty comprehensive um, in terms of all of the, the sort of plus points. Um, okay, we got so any... we've got, we got yep. one more. Okie doke. And I've saved the best till last day. Have you now? Do you want to have a little guess who it could be? Could it be Marty? It is. It's the one and only birthday boy himself. Ah, oh, I'm glad he's Marty back. Marty McLean. Okay. So, if, if you're listening to this, guys, okay, he's at Marty McLean. You'll be able to find him through our Twitter. Just, just have a drink this week and just celebrate, Marty. Just take a picture and send it to us and him. <laughs> okay. Right, so, Marty says... This has got to be one of my top 10 episodes. The 12 Bill Nardole dynamic is a joy to witness. Oxygen is the perfect blend of 60s base under siege and 70s political commentary. The zombies are creepy, the stakes are high, the pacing never lets up, and it makes me genuinely tense. He says, the best quote of the episode is, please remain calm whilst your central nervous system is disabled. Your life is in our hands. <laughs> yeah. I love a di dispassionate evil uh, AI like that. Mm. So it's a it's a it's a good trope, and it's used very well yeah. in this one. Um, what, what do you think is the best evil AI? <sighs> it's surely the one from Portal. Yeah, you know what? Now that you said it, I don't think I can think of a better one. Is that, that, is that Glados? Glados? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Good times, um, but yeah, okay. Well, yeah, no, everybody like this. Everybody like yeah. this, including you. Uh, but you're, you're so now that you've read through that, do you? Does that help to kind of crystallise which aspects of it you think? I, I, I think going back to what I said earlier that I've yeah. seen this episode a thousand times before. I think I, I have, but I don't know if I've always seen it done as well. Yeah. I think that's a good yeah. way to put it. I think if I was pointing people to a base under siege, I might go for this over some of the others. Yeah. I don't know if it's as good as Impossible Planet, but you know, it's just a good, solid episode. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing for me is just that team of Twelfth uh, Doctor Bill and Nardole. Yeah. I, I love the dynamic they have, the interplay they have, uh, and especially when you've got a writer like Jamie Matheson, who there's a real deftness to his dialogue. You know, it yeah. really clips along in a fun, entertaining way. Like I, I, I've said in the past that I don't, I didn't really care for Nardol. Yeah. But as part of this ensemble, it works. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it's almost like. 
it's almost like a triangle, isn't it? That each of the Doctor, Bill and Nardole are like accountable to one and not the other, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like Bill listens to the Doctor, but not Nardole. Yeah. Like Nardole, I don't know. He's in charge of the Doctor. You, you know yeah. what I mean? He listens like, to the Doctor, but o- but only because, you know, the Doctor told him to initially, you know. Um, yeah. it, it, but he do- he is basically becoming an, a parent at this point, isn't he? To Like an unruly, tear-away teenager. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you something else I noticed in this episode. Yeah. And it, it won't be the first time we'll have seen it. But I just like that the Doctor has, you know, he's based on Earth. I like how he's changed from his big gallivanting blue velvet coat to just normal clothes. Yeah, he's just slouching around in hoodies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Although this episode didn't have Bill's music, and I've said that's my favourite thing of this series. Yeah. Would you believe me if I said sometimes this week when I'm at work on a morning when I'm doing my jobs, I've played an orchestral version of Bill's thing? Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was just like, I just, I just, I quite often just put like, background concert music on just so I have a bit of noise in my room mm. and I was like oh I'll check that out yeah no it's a lovely theme um but yeah uh let's 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 just get stuck into this one I think because there's there okay. is a lot to talk about here so this is oxygen episode five of season 10 it's from the 13th of May 2017. Yeah, as we've already said, written by Jamie Matheson, directed by Charles Palmer. So, uh, just for context, can you recall what do you, do you know what which other episodes Jamie Matheson's done? Um, I knew that he'd done Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah, he also did and I... Flatline, and he did um, the Girl Who Died, the the Viking one from last season. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Mummy on the Orient Express trivia for this episode? I don't know that I do. I don't think I know any so, trivia for this episode. So, originally, this uh, episode was planned as a sequel. Oh, yes. No, I did know this. Yeah. Um, it was... They were going to reveal that it was Gus from uh, Murray on the Orient Express was behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't... can't, I, can't... I wish they, they'd stuck with that, actually. Yeah. it would. It's one of those loose ends that just isn't tied up, is it? Yeah, yeah. I always feel like Gus would like. I want, I want a sequel with Gus somewhere, doing something else nefarious. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, it doesn't stop this being a great episode, though. Uh, you're going great episode. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I don't think it's like I say. I don't think it's perfect, but it's it's of a very high standard. As I would say, I think all of Matheson's episodes are. To be honest, I think. For me, he out of all of the writers of this period, he's probably the one with with the most obvious future showrunner potential. I'd say. Mm-hmm. But um, whether or not we'll ever get to see that, who can say? But... Right. So we open with space, the final frontier. Yes. Yeah. It's the final frontier because it wants to kill you. And as we hear the Doctor saying these words, we see a body hurtling through space. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's an astronaut, and we see that the astronaut have oxygen credits. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so you have a certain allocation of oxygen. And she's explaining to her astronaut partner, who also seems to be her life partner, that she wants a baby. Mm -hmm. However, we see that her radio is broken. So it's almost like she's practicing what she wants to say to him. Yeah, yeah. It's a very sweet, very human moment there. Yeah, yeah. So they're both fairly low on oxygen. And they're out in space because they're mending this space station. They're doing some sort of job. And when they turn round, they're space zombies. And unfortunately, because of the broken radio, the man can't hear the woman screaming. Yeah. Until it's too late, he turns round and there's zombies everywhere. Oh, dear. Nightmare. (laughs) And I do, you know... It's not the first time we've seen something that basically conforms to standard zombie rules in Doctor yeah. Who. But I think it's absolutely fine. It, it fits this episode perfectly. You don't want anything more complicated than that for this. No. No. There's so many zombies in Doctor Who, isn't there? Yes. But never never actual zombie zombies. No. Sometimes always... they're ghosts, but they're not even real ghost ghosts. <laughs> Always aliens. Or but, sometimes just dead people. But that's the thing. I was going to say, again, this is we've, we've not had this as a phenomenon for a long time, and yet all of a sudden here we are with another episode where, in this case, definitely, it's not an alien. Mm. It's just awful people. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is good. Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so then we get our titles. And then... And then... Yeah. Then we have the Doctor back at the university lecturing on space. I just love these little scenes we get of the Doctor giving his university lectures. Yeah, it... especially this one. Because when he's sprawling on the blackboard... Yeah. First of all, like I, I thought the blackboard's a very Doctor thing because it's not modern. Like Schools no. don't have them. But it did hark back to, is it Listen? Yes. He, th- th- this, uh, uh, in fact, you could go even all the way back to um, Deep Breath, Capaldi's first episode, where he's scrawling calculations in chalk mm. on, his, on his bedroom floor. Like, this doctor has a thing for blackboards and chalk. It's kind of just, yeah, it's been a trope all the way through. And... Yeah, to have it kind of crystallised in this season where it, where he's just actually a practising lecturer. It just feels so right for this iteration and, of the Doctor. And like I say, I thought we were going to pull back and it was just going to be like insane sprawlings on the board. Yeah. But when you see he's mapped stars and when he's drawing, you know, it links together and you've got that image of a skull. Yeah. You know, the, the blackness of the blackboard, the blackness of outer space <sighs> and... Ultimately, all there is is death. Very well done. So good. And of course, all the way through this, he's basically just just reeling off all the horrible physiological things that will happen to you if you're exposed to the vacuum of space. Yeah. It's good we know them for, like, use later in the episode, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it turns out he should have been teaching about crop rotation. (laughs) Yeah. What, What subject is he teaching? I don't know is the thing. Um, 
Like, you, you could say it's some sort of science. Yeah. But he seems to do a lot of, like, astrophysics, but then crop rotation would probably be some sort of... Maybe history. Biology, botany. Yeah. Who knows? But, uh, yeah. Anyway, he okay. gets away with it, though, for some reason. So, present in the lecture, as well as Bill and the rest of the class, is Nardole who says he worries the Doctor keeps lecturing on space because he misses space. Mm -hmm. You know, we get this nod to the Doctor swearing an oath he's not to abandon the vault. Yeah. Okay. And I, I did like this bit where the Doctor says, right, what do you want from me? And Nardole says, all I want is the truth. And the Doctor says, well, I think you've been very unreasonable. That, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that, that is peak Capaldi. I, I think... Yeah. After his first series, I, I think I've come full circle on Capaldi. Everybody does. Yeah. Everybody does. This is the thing. You've just got to be patient with him in a way that and you don't with Matt Smith. That's it. And I think it is. I just like that playfulness. Matt mm. Smith had it from the off. That's why he's my number one. Yeah. But Capaldi is getting there and doing it so well. Yeah. I think the thing is... If you go back and rewatch series eight, it's there from the start. It's just it's not kind of like as perfectly in tune yeah. as it gets to by sort of series nine, series ten. Uh, but you know, there is much more of a definable arc, I think, with this Doctor than there is with some of, some of the others. But yeah, yeah. like with with Matt Smith. It's almost like he's not the main character in the story. Mm. You know, there's a lot about River, a lot about Amy and Rory, whereas here, the story, although Bill's there, like, we have got the development of the Doctor. Yes, definitely. Like, he he is the focus, and, and you know, it's no wonder, because because Capaldi is such a, a, a good performer and such a commanding presence and, and able to do both the gravitas and the comedy in, in this kind of effortless way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're coming round to him. I knew you would. Yeah. So, following on from this, where Nardole orders the Doctor not to go on adventures, he and Bill immediately plan an adventure. Yes. Okay. And Nardole is absolutely furious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he says that the Doctor has a responsibility to guard the vault. Yeah. And as he's saying that, the Doctor just launches the TARDIS. Yeah. Just why okay. not? So they land on a ship with no oxygen. Mm-hmm. There's a little pool of oxygen around the TARDIS. So ultimately the Doctor opens the TARDIS doors depressurizes it, let all the air onto the spaceship. Okay. But he finds out that this is unauthorized oxygen. Mm-hmm. So straight away, we're getting this idea of air being the commodity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like some people might consider it a, a bit far-fetched, the idea of, of um, you know, workers being forced to pay for their own oxygen. But, you know, if you think about it, most the the majority of workers in under our current system, you know, we have to pay for our transport to get us to and from our jobs. We have to pay for 
the food and things to sustain us during our jobs. We we have to, and we spend a lot of our disposable income on stuff to kind of <laughs> numb us and 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 you know stop us going completely mad as a result of all the stress caused by our jobs. You know, it's. I I genuinely think it. If they could, they would. Do you know what I mean? Can we just keep the politics out of podcasts, please? <laughs> keep the politics out of Doctor Who, please. Now, honestly, just... It, for, it's for, just for about one... a man on a spaceship, David. You're reading too much into this. Just just for one minute, Matt, I would love to know how you gen- genuinely how you feel about when Doctor Who gets this explicitly political. Um... Uh... All, all I could think is, heavens above, it's going to be a long record with David about this, isn't it? Like, Would you say... It's going to be one of those weeks where I have to make two cups of coffee. Because the thing is, I get the impression with you, and I, I don't know if this is near the mark or not, Matt, that you're just kind of apolitical, pretty I, much. I, I just don't care, David. Like, yeah. You either vote for one idiot or another. And whoever you vote for, it doesn't matter. They'll be caught... On CCTV, getting off with one of their aides. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... I, 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 I don't want to linger on this Matt Hancock thing, David. No. But I read that woman he was kissing, yeah. right? He paid her £15,000 a year, and she was expected to work between 15 and 20 days. Mm. Must have been a very good kisser. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Hancock isn't. <laughs> uh, but... She, yes. she clearly must have been just climbing the political ladder because mm. it's. I mean, he's no, a man it's... who looks like he's allergic to everything around him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just it's 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 just complete cronyism. It's, it's if you're listening to this, Hancock, you're a slimy rat of a man, and <sighs> you know hope... what? Yeah, generally speaking. We want as many listeners as we can get on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so we're reaching out to you, Matt Hancock, yeah. former Secretary of State for Health, okay? After you've told us all to stay home, protect the NHS, turns out you're in your little bunker with the rest of your tarry mugs <laughs> getting off with anything within arm's reach. Yeah. Scum. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. One day, David, the proletariat's going to rise up, and <laughs> I don't think this country's ready for it. Uh, if only. Um, anyway, I um, knew you'd love that. That was—I I just said that just for you. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So it, we, yeah, straight off the bat, we are getting this this proper big sci-fi idea. And quite, and a very uncompromising one at that, the idea that that these the workers on this station are literally being charged for the air they breathe. Mm. Right. So they pal around for a bit. They're having a right laugh. Yeah. And then they find a zombie corpse in a spacesuit. Yeah. And he's got loads of oxygen left. Yeah. Okay. So the doctor works out that it's a mining station. Mm-hmm. It's home to 40 workers. However, there's recently been 36 bereavements. So we know there's going to be four staff around. Yeah. And sadly, that also means 36 zombies. Yeah. Okay. 
So they find an empty spacesuit that is working just on its own because they fear it's going to be another zombie until the doctor takes its head off mm -hmm. and we realise there's no person inside. Okay. However, the suit contains the station's AI and begins talking to them. Yeah. Okay. And Nardo so, recognises the AI. Yeah, former girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. I just, what I love and what they really start doing this series with Nardo is like every additional detail you learn about him just deepens the mystery mm, of who or definitely. what Nardo is. So we get further explanation that oxygen is a luxury or payment for workers and any unauthorised air is expelled. Mm. Okay. So the station at this point decompresses. All that oxygen the Doctor had brought with him is gone. Yeah. Okay. So there's a voice over the communication channel. And this is where we're introduced to Chief Tasker. So he's the man from earlier on whose partner was saying they wanted to have a baby with him. Yes. Okay. And as they're talking, the suit zombie wakes up. And... It destroys the sonic screwdriver. Oh. How did you feel? We've only I feel like we've only just had it back. Yeah. I just thought it'd be saying next week he'll just have gone to a, a shop in the future and bought a new one. <laughs> that would be amazing if it turned out that the doctor had no hand in making the sonic screwdriver. If it was purely just he just got them from got them in bulk from a shop and every so often the TARDIS yeah. would cough up a new one. Yeah. It's got a crate of them out <laughs> yeah. the back. Well, you've got to think, eventually all technology becomes redundant. <laughs> you know, think about back in the day how much a video player cost. Yeah, that's true. And now you couldn't find one if you tried. Yeah. Okay. So, we find out the suits have been ordered to destroy their organic component. Uh, this is where we get the first mention of capitalism in space, and in my notes I've written, please keep the politics out of it too. <laughs> yep. Okay, because we find out that, obviously, due to the decompression, the Doctor and Bill, and I, I thought, Nardole, his head is alive, isn't it? It's his robot body that isn't. Because I was like, why does he well, need a suit if he's a robot? All we know is that uh, he said that the Doctor reassembled him. Mm. You could, the Doctor could potentially have reassembled him organically or partly. He might be some kind of cyborg. Yeah, we had that's... the little thing in the first episode with he, where he was kind of squeaking a bit and, and there was a loose screw. Yeah. But that's I, it. I've always read it that he's like a human head alive on a robot body. Mm. A bit like Robocop. So... They can see all the zombies outside and they have no other option than to put on the suits. Yeah. So they run from the zombies for a little bit and meet the rest of the crew. Yeah. Including Blue Darren. <laughs> yes. I love that little exchange where Bill's kind of <laughs> on the back foot. Yeah, because, you know, she's preached in recent episodes when they went to the past about yeah. racism. Yeah. And here she is being the racist. Yeah. Or Comple being perceived to be the racist. Yeah, completely accidentally. And I think it, it, it's very sweet. Like, it's it's not, like, meant to be 
a dig at anyone or anything. It's just, it's just kind of more of a like, you know, how easy it is for our perspectives to change when we're taken out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Um, okay. So the doctor takes charge. He says he's from the union. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Tasker suspects that somebody or someone, sorry, something or someone has hacked all the suits. Yeah. Because the zombies in the suits are now fixing the door to enter this staff chamber area. Okay. You know what? I'm just having this thought just now where I think maybe what my biggest criticism of this episode would be now that we're meeting the, the crew I think to do a, a for to get full marks on a base under siege episode, I want to really understand the 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 characters, the survivors on the base. You know, mm. I think we did that brilliantly in Impossible Planet. I think that it's done very well on Under the Lake and Before the Flood. These crew members are just basically all interchangeable, grumpy people. One of yeah. whom happens to be blue. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember their names, but we basically have Chief Tasker. Yeah. Then we have Blue Darren. Yeah. Then we have Man and Woman. I think I think Man is probably kind of cheery and affable. I think that's his thing. Yeah. And again, Woman is just generically grumpy. Yeah. And, you know... And I don't blame them for being grumpy. They're in a very scary, high-pressure situation. I'd be grumpy. But um, it's a shame when we don't get a, 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 a kind of a, 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 a deeper sense of who these people are. But I admit, obviously, 45 minutes, there's not a lot of time in which to do that. But I think if you go, if this episode was going to lose marks for anything, that would probably be it for me. So... As they fix the door to enter the staff quarters, the crew begin to move out and one is immediately killed. So we can see what the zombies can do now. So they don't incinerate or burn or physically harm you. They just shut you down. They take over your central nervous system and that is it. Yep. Okay. So, Bill's suit begins to remove her helmet against her will. I think we've seen this earlier in the episode where it won't lower its arms. Yes, Bill, yeah. Bill's suit is faulty. It seems to be acting independently of what she wants it to do. Yeah. Okay. And in this instance, when they're moving through an airlock, it begins to take her helmet off. Yeah. Okay. So... She becomes exposed to the vacuum of space and we see all the horrible things that the Doctor talked about earlier Ugh. now happen. And I, I think this had the potential to be, you know, you could have just gone, like, really gruesome, like, oh, her eyes explode and there's blood everywhere. Yeah. But they do it slowly. Yeah. You know, you see the crystals, the ice forming on her skin. You know, it shows you very subtly what is happening yeah it goes right up to the edge of what they'd be able to do on a family tv show basically yeah um it's it's such a well-executed scene i think it's so like like i feel so physically uncomfortable 
when I watch that scene, even though I know it's going to be okay in the end, it's it's just uh, it's so well well executed. But anyway, yeah, eventually she just blacks out. Mm-hmm. So when she wakes up, well, we see a little aspect of her point of view as they're moving through this area of space. Yeah. But when she wakes up, you know, she's a bit discompobulated and Nardole explains that the doctor removed his helmet to allow Bill to have it so she would be able to pass. But because of the exposure to space, he's undergone quite a bit of harm. Yeah. And when... Bill reunites with the Doctor. He's blind. Yep. That's a bit of a turn-up, isn't it? Yeah, because, uh, you know, we, we usually see, and I, I'm harking back to a couple of recent episodes, like Before the Flood, whenever disability has been, certainly in recent episodes, yeah. has featured... You know, it's been highlighted that, you know, you can still accomplish tasks despite. Yes. But here, it really ramps up, you know, the fact that the Doctor can't be the Doctor, if that makes sense. He's got this yeah. brilliant mind, but it... I, it's, I certainly, it's, it certainly puts them on the back foot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I was going to say that the Doctor can't be the Doctor. The thing is, he's trying to be the Doctor, but he can't see the people around him behaving and how concerned they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's laughing and joking, but as he's doing that, Bill is a woman on the edge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, we get a message at this point to say there's a rescue ship coming. Okay. And the Doctor's slightly concerned because he says there's a message saying a rescue ship's coming, but also that a rescue ship has arrived. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, at this point, Bill's suit begins to break again. Okay. So, the Doctor says, I, I think I know what's going on here. I need to abandon you, Bill. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, at Poor this point... Poor Bill. Poor Bill. Because, like, she's already been put through the ringer once this episode. Yeah, but, you know, whenever she's faced trouble, I think what really brought it home here is the fact that she's calling for her mum. Yeah. You know, which really shows you she's convinced this is the end. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, as she does, you know, we see an image of Bill's mum. Bill begins to become tearful, Mm -hmm. visibly distressed, and then gets zapped. Yeah. So, just to to check, at this point, did you feel that there would be any lasting consequences for this episode? Did you think this was the end for Bill and she was just getting written out early? It was meant to be like a big shock. Um, no, because I'll I'll be honest. If I did think if if that was going to happen, yeah, then the doctor would embark on some sort of quest to make it right. Yeah, 
Well, we you know, saw I... that at the end of uh, Series 9 with Clara. Yeah, I didn't think it was just simply going to be, you know, Billy's dead. I thought she yeah. might be temporarily dead. <laughs> but, you know. And what about uh, the Doctor and his and his uh, blindness? I, I just thought he'd wear Sonic's uh, sunglasses again. <laughs> and, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. He always knows some weird alien that can just cure blindness. Well, like he said, you know, he was very, very sort of casually saying, like, oh, well, we get, when we get back to the TARDIS, you know, I've got... I've got some stuff that might probably cure that. I think I've got some spare eyes that might have belonged to a lizard. <laughs> I like that line. But, uh, so, yeah. so Bill gets zapped. And the Doctor is now trying electrolysis. He's trying to separate hydrogen from oxygen, which would release breathable oxygen, from water in the space centre's... Uh, cooling system. Yeah. Okay. So. Though, as Nardo points out, that would give him about five minutes and then the whole thing would blow. Yeah. So, people are concerned that he's solving the problem, but it will only ever be a temporary solution. Yes. Okay. Until the doctor then points out exactly what's happening. Okay? Yeah. He has linked the remaining crew. To the cooling system. Yes. So if they die, the system will fail mm-hmm. and the space colony ship, whatever it is, will explode. Okay? Yes. So because they had become, you know, needless, the suits could operate without them, they became an expense. The doctor realized if he created a situation where it was more expensive mm-hmm. in the scenario where you kill them, then the the company in charge would cease, you know, their mind exactly. killing. It's an, it's an extreme form of industrial action yeah. um, against an extreme form of capitalism, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so... But, but let's keep the politics out of Doctor Who, right, yeah? Yeah, no politics on the pod, please. <laughs> so, there never was a rescue ship. Yeah. It was simply their replacements. Once they died, <laughs> there was just going to be a clean-up operation, and that would be that. Mm-hmm. So, the suits were programmed to become as efficient as possible, and the thing slowing them down was the organic co- component. So, get rid of that. Okay. So, all... The suits appear, and the Doctor tells them his plan. Yes. Okay, he says, all of a sudden, our deaths become very expensive. Mm -hmm. So, the suits give the crew their remaining oxygen, and the Doctor points out that Bill's suit, which has been faulty this whole time, didn't kill her. Okay, it's been malfunctioning Mm -hmm. this whole time, so why wouldn't it malfunction when it was trying to kill her? Yeah. So... He literally just kind of presses a button and it resurrects Bill. Yeah, which is handy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back on the TARDIS, the crew ask the Doctor to drop them off at head office. That way they can make a formal complaint. Yeah. You know, it probably gets stuck in paperwork hell and they'll never see justice. <laughs> and Nardole fixes the Doctor's eyes. 
Or does he? Yeah. Yeah. So, the Doctor goes back to his office with Bill, and the Doctor... I like these, these little bits at the end where, after the adventure, Bill just goes, yeah, but then what happened? You know, yeah. We've had this the last few episodes where the Doctor points out that everything's all right. They don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, when Bill leaves, Nardole says, never again. We're not doing this. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, he, pro- he gives him a proper bollocking, doesn't he? Yeah. He shouts, look at me, several times, and the Doctor points out that he can't. Mm-hmm. And the final line of the episode is the Doctor saying he's still blind. Dun, dun, dun. Proper cliffhanger. Hmm. So, I look forward to next week where we go on some sort of quest to get some eyes or something. Hmm. Well, do you want to know what next week's episode is called? Go on. It is called Extremis. Alright. Is that like a new brand of uh, contact lens that the Doctor wears? Oh, could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the Doctor's blind. It's like, it's really interesting, the idea of the Doctor having a disability. Like, that, that lasts more than one story. That's not a thing that's ever been explored, I don't think, in the history of the show prior to this point. So, uh, how how did the fandom react to this? Or did they only care when the Doctor has a real disability, like being a woman? <laughs> oh, God. The fandom. I, I mean, at yeah, the time... That, that, that was a prod at the fandom. I, I, I just want to say I'm not one of those not-my-doctor idiots. No, I, 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 think, I think we know that. We, I mean, remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. What if I am? That would be a turn for this podcast, wouldn't it? (laughs) That would be a turn. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I don't recall... I think the main thing was just excitement because it was a proper cliffhanger. It's like, wow, what that's... It's rare that we have lasting consequences for the Doctor at the end of a story. Usually, it's basically you know, brushes the dust off his shoulders, pulls the crank on the TARDIS and it's off on the next adventure. But we can't just do that now, can, can we? Can, can I ask about previous consequences? Uh, yeah, You don't have to course. answer this if you don't want to. Mm. But obviously I know in Classic Who, yeah. uh, is it Adric dies and it's yeah. kind of on the Doctor. Does Does he care about that or does he just pull the lever and shoot off into space there are occasional references but and you know all all the way through I mean lasting into modern who like for example do you remember when the scene because this is always sticks with me I think it's a a beautiful one uh, when um Rory's dad is kind of cornering the doctor and saying, okay, what happens to them? What happens to these people that travel with you? And he has Mm. to kind of admit, well, you know, some of them find new places to live. Some of them, a lot of them go back home, but occasionally, just occasionally, some of them die, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah. So, but but anyway, specifically with Adric, like there'd be the odd reference here and there, but basically the sh- the classic series didn't do continuity in that way not mm. emotional continuity 
it was a it was a, a, a less emotive show in that way. In, in the same way, I think a lot of TV was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, in terms of continuity references, Doctor Who would be more a case of like you know dredging up the sea devils and doing a new story with them or, or, or something like that. That's because that's what the fans at the time wanted more than, you know, acknowledging the emotional impact of previous events. Whereas I feel like that's very much flipped and the modern fandom, they care much more about that side of things than they do about whether or not some, you know, the Daleks that show up in, in, in series nine are in keeping with the you know the previously established continuity of series four or whatever mm-hmm. um but yes in terms of this though like just we, what we have here is a physical concrete toll that has been taken on the doctor as a result of this story and i think there are a lot of people who are very interested myself amongst them very interested to see what they do with it from this point Mm because like it's exciting that they've done it but then it's just like okay but what are you actually going to do with this is it all just going to is have we basically just kicked the can down the road and it's all going to get unwritten halfway through the next episode instead um but yeah you'll just have to wait and see though matt um yeah excited to find out yeah so do join us dear listeners for next week when we will be discussing extremists but until then thank you ever so much for listening and cheerio bye now thank you for listening to neither the time nor the space if you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.